It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Bill Hemmer. I'm Janice Dean. I'm Juan Williams, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Wednesday, February 9th, 2022. I'm Dave Anthony. Several Democratic-led states are getting ready to lift some COVID mask mandates. Republicans say it's about time. And now we've got a whole you know, generation of little kids who are afraid of air and think they're going to kill grandma if they take their mask off. And um, But there's no science behind any of it. We speak with GOP Senator Rand Paul. And Lisa Brady. Brighter days for the U.S. travel industry maybe just around the corner. This thing's a coiled spring that's going to come back a lot quicker than economists predict. Economists are saying 2024. I'm not buying it. And not because I'm in the industry. I've just watched this before. When travel comes back, it comes roaring back. And I'm Guy Benson. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. More Americans will soon be unmasked again. We're not going to manage COVID to zero. We have to learn how to live with COVID. Governor Phil Murphy planning to lift New Jersey's mask mandate next month. We can responsibly take this step given the continuing drop in new cases and hospitalizations. Other Democrat-led states will do the same. California and Oregon, Pennsylvania and Delaware, and Connecticut, where Governor Ned Lamont says... I think this is something we've earned, Connecticut. We've earned it. Local officials and school districts still can require masks in those states, but Republicans think it's a positive step. You know, it's about time. The science has been there for a long time that particularly the cloth masks don't work. GOP Senator Rand Paul is from Kentucky. In fact, I really don't think many of the government mandates or any of the government mandates really changed the course of this disease. The only thing that we've done that has uh, helped slow the disease down has been vaccination and also natural immunity. And both of those are gradually allowing us to develop immunity. But really masks, plexiglass, you know, the separation, none of those things probably worked. In fact, if you look at the timeline of when the mandates were put in place, there's no real evidence that uh, there was a change or decline in the incidence of the disease. If you look at countries like Sweden that haven't had their school kids in masks, no kids out of 1.8 million kids, no kids died in Sweden. And there wasn't an enhanced or increased incidence of disease among the teachers either. So it's about time we get rid of the mask mandates. We need to get them off the planes, off the kids. Uh, we need to get back to normal. But it's going to be difficult because local jurisdictions do in some states have the say. We are seeing that fight go on in Virginia over and over in courts, uh, local districts defying orders. This is not going to go away soon. I think you're going to find, though, that parents, even parents that are independent or Democrat, are tired of having their kids' faces covered. Uh, You're going to find kids uh, and parents who have kids who have special needs, uh, people who have hearing disabilities, et cetera. These parents are going to rally and keep pushing, and they're unhappy. And I hope these parents will show up at school board meetings and will elect new people to the school boards. And that ultimately, this may be something that actually drives people more towards the freedom-loving nature of the Republican Party. Maybe people who were Democrats are going to say, why am I part of a party that won't let my kid, uh, you know, breathe based on something that's not scientific, 
doesn't seem to protect them. But still, this is, you know, it's not completely permeated throughout society yet. There's still some people, and now we've got a whole, you know, generation of little kids who are afraid of air and think they're going to kill grandma if they take their mask off. And um, But there's no science behind any of it. The vast majority of people now have been infected or vaccinated, and there's really no reason to be doing these things. So hopefully common sense will win out in the end. You know, you had mentioned, Senator, the vaccination is helping along with natural immunity. But Democrats said, well, see, mandates work, like the mayor of New York City, Bill de Blasio, the ex-mayor now, saying that his mandates worked, got more people vaccinated because of that, and the president has been trying to do the same thing. Before there were any vaccine mandates, if you look at the CDC numbers on vaccination, it was an enormous voluntary success. 97% of people over age 65 got vaccinated voluntarily. They didn't have to be mandated. They looked at the data and said, hmm, this looks like a disease that kills older people. I think I'll take a vaccine. And most people did it voluntarily. The mandates are to get uh, people who don't think it's into the, to their benefit to get vaccinated, to force them to fire people, to fire doctors and nurses. And really, I have a lot of sympathy for doctors and nurses who worked for over a year taking care of COVID patients. Many of them got it. Some doctors and nurses died, but the vast majority recovered and now have immunity that equals or exceeds a vaccine. And I just think it's an awful authoritarian notion to say you're going to fire those people What do you tell people, though, who still refuse and don't want to get the vaccine? What I would do is, if you're not vaccinated, ask your doctor if you can be tested for immunity to find out if you've had it. If you've had the disease, I frankly think, unless you're at extraordinary high risk, you don't need any vaccine at all. I I had the disease naturally, and I chose not to get vaccinated. If I were 10 years older or had a couple comorbidities, I might have taken the vaccine, though. I'm not adamant about that. But if you take a test and you don't have any antibodies, you haven't been vaccinated, and you have no antibodies showing prior infection, I think it's a reasonable thing to think, consider being vaccinated, particularly if you're over probably 55 and overweight at almost any age. So I think if you're honest with people and told them, yes, previous infection works, but you haven't had a previous infection, I think there is a certain amount of people that will. But if you've been lying the whole time and saying previous infection does nothing and you've been advocating for cloth masks that don't work, and you've basically been Dr. Fauci and dishonest about just everything, those people, you won't get them back. You know, they're not going to come back and get vaccinated because they now think because you're willing to lie on a few things that probably you're lying about everything. A month ago, he and Dr. Anthony Fauci sparred yet again at another Senate hearing with Senator Paul accusing the Biden advisor of trying to silence scientists on the COVID lab leak theory. You conspire, and I quote here directly from the email, to create a quick and devastating published takedown of three prominent epidemiologists. As usual, Senator, you no. are incorrect almost everything you well, said. Well, no, you deny, you deny, right. but the emails tell the truth of this. No. Then Senator Paul took aim at Fauci's COVID guidance. More people have died now under President Biden than did under President Trump. You are the one responsible. You are the architect. You are the lead architect for the response from the government. You personally attack me and with absolutely not a shred of evidence of anything you say. And Dr. Fauci said that kindles the crazies out there. And I have life that threats upon my life harassment of my family alleging senator paul's motive for it all is to raise money for himself so you are making a catastrophic epidemic for your political gain back and forth they went for almost nine minutes the interesting thing is is that the question i asked him was 
do, do you think it's appropriate to use your $420,000 office to attack other scientists? See, I asked him about personal attacks. He turned it around by not answering the question and then making a personal attack. And are we raising money on it? Absolutely, because we want the mandate stand. We want him gone. We want the origin to be investigated, but the Democrats aren't doing it. So it is about politics. If, if Republicans take over the Senate, I'll be chairman of a committee, and I've pledged to people that I will investigate Fauci, I'll investigate the origins of the virus, I will subpoena all the records, and we're going to have hearings about whether the government should be funding uh, research that creates viruses that don't exist in nature that could cause pandemics. And we're going to have that discussion. The Democrats have refused, so it is political. And frankly, I think he, uh, as far as saying, oh, he's responsible for death threats, that is uh, really a personal attack that's inappropriate. I was at the ball field when Steve Scalise almost died. I had a staffer shot five feet from me. And for him to say, oh, you know, not one of us said it was Bernie Sanders' fault. Bernie Sanders, uh, the guy was a Bernie Sanders supporter that shot up the ball field. So it's kind of ridiculous to say that. The other thing is the week that he's complaining about a death threat, which I, I don't want anybody to hurt him, I had 34 death threats. So who's responsible? Is he responsible for those? I mean, it's kind of really, really a juvenile argument to try to say someone's responsible for crazy people in our, in our society. The origin, you've talked about where this virus came from in China. Are you convinced that it came out of the lab? I started out very skeptical of it, and it took me probably nine months, Nicholas Wade's article and some others, uh, to come to the conclusion that, yes, it is. I think it's 90-10, chance that it came from the lab, 10% chance that it didn't. They, they looked at 80,000 animals in those wet markets. None of them had COVID. They tested 80,000 animals. That's a big sample. They also tested the blood of 9,000 uh, people from China who had had flu-like symptoms in uh, 2019. If it came gradually from animals, you'd expect a few of those people to be positive for um, COVID. None of them had COVID. So you take COVID from humans and then you try to infect bats with it. It doesn't infect them very well. There's a lot of indications that it looks like this was designed to infect humans. So, yeah, there's a lot of evidence pointing towards the lab. And the reason we need to know, it's not just about blame. It's not just about Fauci's support for gain of function or his support for this lab. It's about making sure this doesn't happen again. Um, about a month ago in the Washington Post, Kevin Esfelt, who's a professor at MIT and not a partisan that I know of, wrote and said that this type of research could threaten civilization. It's a gamble that civilization should not, should not take. And so I think there are some objective minds, and when we're in charge, I'm going to bring in those scientists, and we're going to have a very thorough vetting of gain of function, and we're going to come up with uh, new rules to put in place about this type of research with government money. I want to get back to the COVID mandates. There's a big protest north of the border. You're probably following this, the Freedom Truck Convoy, snarling traffic at some border crossings. It's blocked streets in the Canadian capital of Ottawa. I want you to hear what the mayor, Jim Watson, said. He said people are terrified. And they've now been subjected to the nonstop honking of large trucks for nine days which is tantamount to psychological warfare. And Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says that they're blockading our economy, our democracy, and our fellow citizens' daily lives. It has to stop. What's your reaction to all that? 
I would argue that the government is blockading trade, blockading travel, blockading commerce with all the crazy, unscientific rules and regulations and mandates they put in place. So my heart is with the truckers. I saw somebody on Twitter this morning who said, I'd rather be ruled by a bunch of truckers and farmers than academics and, and journalists. And I'm with him. I mean, common people have common sense and they want to be left alone. There's no evidence that uh, any of these mandates have changed the course of the disease, but people want their freedom back, and God love them. I, I think it's a great spontaneous thing that's arisen. I'm for American truckers doing the same. I'm for people boycotting New York City and California. Don't go to these places that hate freedom and hate you and hate Republicans. We should avoid, you know, why live there? Move to Florida, move to Texas, move to Kentucky, move somewhere else, but, you know, and that's what's happening. People are fleeing and looking for freedom. Look, even AOC can't go out and have a good time in New York City. She's got to go to Florida looking for a good time. You're often, you know this, you're attacked on the left. You can Google, see all the people say things about you, conspiracy theorists, spreading false information. What do you say? What do, you, do you try to respond to that? You know, there's not one uh, position that I've taken that is not backed by peer-reviewed uh, science. You know, I... I have a background in science, went to medical school, have published in peer review uh, articles in journals. And what you find if you go to a scientific convention is that you do, you have to defend your work. People will, will say your sample size was too small. They'll say you had selection bias in your sample size. They'll say you ignored this and that. But that's how science gets better through criticism. What's worrisome about the left is they don't want to hear any criticism. The left wants to stifle debate and they say their way to the highway. And uh, a, a great irony that, you know, the left that once defended the First Amendment now wants to, uh, you know, put a kibosh on, on free speech. It's, it, it is alarming. It should alarm everyone. Senator Rand Paul, Republican from Kentucky, we appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. This is Guy Benson with your Fox News commentary coming up. People aren't just longing for a return to normalcy. They're planning for it, if travel is an indicator. One survey taken in mid-January by research firm Longwoods International finds 91% of respondents who traveled before the pandemic have travel plans in the next six months. And one quarter surveyed said their travel decision is no longer influenced by the pandemic. Over the past two years, we've seen what happens when the world stops traveling. Tori Emerson Barnes, executive vice president of the U.S. Travel Association, highlighting the emotional and economic impacts at the group's annual update on the state of the U.S. travel industry held recently by webcast. And she tells Fox Business. We've lost over $700 billion in, in spending here in the U.S by not having international travel. And that's just really, really significant. COVID's Omicron surge didn't really hit its stride until after Christmas. But by then, the variant had already created a stressful testing ordeal for many travelers. Still, the holiday season stayed busy. And in the cruise industry, bookings are running well into next year. I think we're actually beginning to see the travel industry 
the rebound. Roger Dow is the U.S. Travel Association president and CEO. Domestic leisure is going to be very strong and the key is to bring back business and professional meetings and events. And all the signs we're seeing with Omicron uh, and the case counts going down, masks changing, uh, I think we're going to be ready for a good summer, a, a decent spring, and then I think fall we'll start seeing things come back very, very strong. I have to imagine that the Omicron surge was especially deflating for the travel industry because things had started to pick up last summer, right? And then all of a sudden, this new huge wave later in the year. Is there concern within the industry that that could happen again? There's always concern. We thought we were getting to the tail end of Delta. And then when Omicron reared its head, it was really a problem. It was the one step forward, two steps backwards, and it really put a link pink in, you know, international travel and all that. But the good news is, if there's good news in these kind of things, is we're seeing it's very mild. Yes, it's very transmissible, but the numbers, the case counts, the hospitalizations, all those are going negative. And everything I know about diseases, and I'm not a doctor, but everything I know is they mutate, 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 and each mutation gets a little weaker. And if that follows the case of other viruses, I think we're going to start soon putting this behind us. Is there optimism across the board where maybe last summer it was still more hesitant um, in terms of the spectrum of the travel industry from airlines to hotels, vacation rental homes, um, that this summer could be you know, more of a turning point? We track uh, sentiment data uh, with about six or seven different sources and they're all the past month and a half saying the same thing. And that is 80% of Americans say they're going to plan a trip in the next six months. 60% of Americans, two thirds, are basically saying they understand this is something that is uh, trailing off that they're going to live with. So I think looking forward, this is going to be a very strong summer because the other thing is people are telling us they are just sick and tired of not seeing their loved ones, their friends and traveling. And I think this thing's a coiled spring that's going to come back a lot quicker than economists predict. Economists are saying 2024. I'm not buying it. And not because I'm in the industry. I've just watched this before. When travel comes back, it comes roaring back. Where do we stand right now in terms of COVID-related travel restrictions in the U.S.? I know internationally, some countries have already pulled back on testing requirements after a really hectic and frustrating holiday season for a lot of travelers, especially air travelers. Is it easier to travel now in terms of COVID rules than it was, you know, just a few months ago, at least in terms of air travel? It's getting easier. Now, let's let's break it down to some pieces. Domestic air travel. Uh, last year, we had over 500 million people, Americans, got on and off plane and we can't find traces back to COVID. So the airplane's probably one of the safest places to be, to tell you the truth, safer than the grocery store. So people know that. The thing that is also helping us in international travel is as these countries, UK, Portugal, Greece now, are all taking back the need for pre-testing before you get on a flight. And the reason that's a problem is people are concerned that they might get a, a positive or a false positive, and the day before their trip, have to cancel it, lose money, have to rebook and all that. So removing that testing requirement, I expect many countries to start following. It it always goes this way. And uh, with all due respect to the CDC, we've had several times where we've talked about Thanksgiving travel or holiday travel, and 
We had one time the CDC came out two hours before a press conference and said, do not travel. The next day, the number of bookings went up uh, around America. I think with all due respect to the CDC, Americans are basically saying, we've heard so many conflicting things. We're going to follow the data, what we hear from our friends, what we hear from people that have been traveling, and we're going to follow that. I know that cruising has had its own COVID journey, to say the very least. Um, now that more cruise lines are back, there there have been a few incidents of large outbreaks. But overall, how is it going? Is the cruise industry fully back yet? The cruise industry has been coming back and was looking forward, still looking forward to a great 2022. Again, most recently, the CDC changed the guidelines on the cruise industry not that much based on data. I mean, there have been some cruise ships where I know one cruise ship had 30 cases, 26 were employees, four were passengers, not one went to the hospital. And so you're getting these mild cases and the cruise industry has been a squeaky clean industry before because they've had to be, but even more so now. And they test people before they get on board. They've got to have proof of vaccine. And the other thing that's happened with cruises is their bookings are monstrous. All the people that didn't go on cruises the past two years have rebooked and people want to go. So they've got monstrous bookings. They just have to get through the schizophrenia that's going on with CDC and the cruise industry. What does the travel industry want going forward? And I know it's a really broad question because there's so many different facets of the travel industry, but do you think that you know COVID restrictions of any kind should remain in place depending on the type of travel? Well, I think you I think you peel the onion. You start bringing things back slowly and you peel this onion back and you peel this restriction. The biggest problem the travel industry has is not only in the U.S., but globally. And you hit the nail on the head earlier is inconsistency. Each place I go, I have to end up calling and finding out what is the procedure? Do I have to wear a mask? Do I have to show proof of vaccination? So one of the biggest things we need for the government is to across the board to get consistent. The other thing we need is there's something that's inside baseball perhaps called Brand USA. And it's the it's the group that promotes America outside America and they're funded by tourists. Well, the past two years they haven't gotten any funding. So we have a bill with the government called the uh, Restore Brand USA Act. And, and that group has $200 million each year to spend to bring travelers to the United States. And it's one of the biggest things we can do. So hopefully, We'll get a bill passed that they'll restore Brand USA's funding temporarily. That's all we want is just temporarily because that's the fastest way to bring business and jobs back to the United States. I know one idea to help get business travel moving again was a tax credit for organizers and sponsors of things like trade shows and conventions. Is that gaining any traction in Washington? Yes, it is. There's uh, several bills that we have that attached to. Here's the, the crazy thing. If, if you go to a baseball game and you can deduct the tickets as a business expense, if you buy someone a hot dog, you can't deduct the hot dog. And it just makes it it's irrational. And so we're, we're looking for, again, to restore that ability for entertainment expenses for people when they travel. So hopefully that'll see the light of the day. You know, we don't want to be greedy, but we want to be able to take these businesses that have been so badly harmed and get the government to help get them back on their feet because they didn't cause this. It was the restrictions were put on them. And I think we have a dual role to help them get back because business travel and professional meetings and events are probably about 20% of the trips, but they represent about 40 to 50% of the revenue. 
In other words, business travelers spend more. So it's very important to bring them back. To put it in perspective, business travel in the past year was probably down 70%. We're projecting, hopefully, that it'll be back this year to about 75%, or three quarters of what it was in 2019. The challenge with business travel are two or three things. One is the corporate finance CFO is saying, look at all the money we made during COVID and our people didn't travel. Maybe we shouldn't have them travel and just keep making money. You've got the general counsel saying, well, if we don't tell them to travel, they'll never sue us if they got sick on the road. And then you got their friends and relatives saying, wait till Mary takes a trip and if she comes back, okay, then you take the trip. Uh, so there are three headwinds that we have to overcome. Hmm. What has all this done for the travel insurance business? Like, are, are a lot more people buying it now because of all the uncertainty and they're afraid they might test positive while they're on a trip and things like that? It's actually been good for the travel insurance business, but the high majority of travel insurance is very much with international travel. And, and, and actually, it is very strict things that, how you can really collect. It's not just if you decided not to take the trip, you can't. But the other thing that is actually been helpful to the traveler and perhaps not to the travel insurance folks is the airlines and hotels have gotten extremely flexible. Gone are the penalties and the inability to rebook. Airlines are letting you rebook your travel hotels. But I always tell people, make sure you know when you book a hotel what their policy is if you have to cancel or change. But right now, there's great flexibility. So people aren't as worried about having to cancel or change their trips as they were several years ago. Do you have any other advice for people who are booking spring and summer vacations right now, whether it's airlines or cruises or just vacation rentals? I mean, is there sort of a big picture that you want them to bear in mind that's you know helpful to the industry? Yeah. And again, not because I'm in the industry, but my message is book now as travel comes back. As you know, what happens is demand increases, prices go up. So, and with the flexibility of changes, so one book now. The second thing, if I were looking to go to a Broadway play or go to a city, I would do that now because the people that are most having the biggest problems are their inner city big convention hotels and all that. There are bargains in New York, Chicago, Washington that you'll never see again short term. So I, I say, hey, take a look at those cities and book travel there. And the last thing is know before you go. And just like I do before every trip, even though I'm in the business, I have my assistant reach out and say, what are the protocols? What do I have to know? For instance, I went to New York City two weeks ago and I had to show my vaccination card and my driver's license to get a meal at a delicatessen. So but you should know that in advance, just in case you don't think to bring your vaccination card with you. Roger Dow, president and CEO of the U.S. Travel Association. Thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Lisa. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Guy Benson. What's on your mind? I'm a sports fan, and I really enjoy the Olympic Games, particularly the Winter Olympics, because I love hockey. But this year, I am not watching the Winter Games in Beijing because they're being hosted by a genocidal regime. In the last few years, the Chinese Communist Party 
has carried out a genocide against ethnic and religious minorities. They have choked the life out of democracy in Hong Kong in violation of international law. They've covered up and lied about the origins of a virus that started in China that has killed millions of people around the world. And that's all on top of their generalized baseline of wrongdoing and abuses, ranging from human rights to intellectual property theft. China should never have been awarded these games in the first place. And they certainly should not have been able to keep the games in the face of their egregious and escalating misconduct over the last two years. I hope our American athletes excel while the Chinese Communist Party is shamed. This is Guy Benson, host of The Guy Benson Show. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.